Hello and welcome to Northeast Christian Church online service. We are so happy to have you with us. Please be sure to follow NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to all our past messages, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the service. Good morning. Uh, 26 years ago, when I gave myself, my, gave my life to Christ, your pastor uh, was not irritated by my endless questions. Uh, he engaged in constant dialogue. I had just, uh, I was in a juvenile correctional facility at 17, gave my life to Christ, and uh, I was a hard nut to crack, and he hung in there with me. He was patient, uh, he was engaging, and uh, I'm, I'm so grateful for him. How many are blessed to have Pastor Paul and Diana as shepherds? Amen. Uh, I do represent a ministry known as Unmuted. I travel the, really the world. I was in three nations in 17 states last year. Unmuted is all about giving victims of trauma, those that have been abused as children, uh, those that have suffered domestic violence, giving them their voices back. That's the mission of Unmuted. Work with teen challenge centers across the country. Uh, conduct workshops on recovering from trauma. Uh, I'm a PhD in behavioral science, uh, meaning I study people as crazy as we are. Uh, currently, I'm conducting a case study on David Berkowitz. Some of you might know the name, the son of Sam. I meet with him about 10 hours a month. We'll be uh, publishing findings from our 100-hour uh, case study in a couple of years in book format that'll be available probably in 2024 or so. Uh, we're living in an era right now where the world wants answers for evil. And all of our intellectual resources, all of our theories of psychology are really falling short. Trying to understand school shootings, uh, trying to understand the worst atrocities, and we're brought back to the Bible the greatest psychology book ever written. A book that when I read it, it reads me. How many have been read by the Bible this morning? It is a mirror. It confronts the sinner within me and it unlocks the winner in me. The image of Adam and the image of God. It's all there in the book. Um, so, you know, when I do preach the Word, I have a, a certain lens, like we all do, in, in looking at the Word of God. Um, I see it not only as a revelation of God's character, but I also see it as a mirror of me. It gets to the bottom of me. Amen? I do have a few books that make available to you after, after the service. Uh, Dr. Jesus, this is actually the book that I had mailed uh, David Berkowitz along with 20 other people last Christmas. And uh, he had read the book. And about a month later, uh, he had written me and asked me to come visit him uh, and said, listen, I've been in here 45 years, been locked up since the late 70s. I've had secularists do case studies, and they've ignored the demonic component to my story. Um, I've had Christians write my testimony, and, and quite frankly, some of them are, are Velveeta cheese. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he said, so I read your book, Dr. Jesus, and I really feel like it's uh, a good blend. I think you're the guy to do this story, so I've been visiting him since. I've had five hours with him. I'm sorry, five visits, uh, 18 hours, and uh, it's been very telling. In fact, you'll hear some of the snippets from those meetings in the next 40 minutes or so. Also, I've got a book that was just released called Surviving Feelings. Found a bunch of grammatical errors in this, like it was released last week. 
So it's not 20 today, it's 15, if you're okay with the errors, all right? So all the books are 20 with the exception of this flawed uh, masterpiece, Surviving Feelings, and then of course this Pen You Paint in the Parables and the Ox and the Ass. You can see me after uh, for those books. But uh, if you can open up the Word of God, I want to share with you a message this morning from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Mark 5, 1 through 20. The message I share with you this morning is not traditional for Father's Day, but it is suitable for Father's Day. It's suitable because all present fathers, all potential dads, your children will inherit whatever demons you're incapable of resisting. Your kids will become ears to whatever giants you refuse to slay. So as untraditional as the message is, I believe it is very suitable, and I pray for every present dad, every future dad in this place, that you would get free so that your kids are free. Amen? Parenthood is an interesting journey. It is the scariest hood that I have ever driven through. <laughs> My father's from the Bronx. I grew up in Providence. I've been to Detroit. There's no scarier hood than parenthood. Yeah, you will be left on the sidewalk, naked, stripped down, beaten up, robbed by your own kinfolk in parenthood. Okay? So we need to get free as parents so that they can be free. Amen? Can we stand for the reading of God's Word? I want to read this together. Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. It, it's a, a strange story. You know, I, I pray that this morning this very deranged man uh, hits close to home. We don't, I'm not one to like go chasing devils. It's really not what I do. I see things in a very rational, scientific kind of way. But we can't deny the existence of evil. Amen? That there's a real devil. That yes, you may have some psychological problems. You may have more issues than Newsweek. But there's a point where evil takes over. We use phrases like, I don't know what got into me. How many have said that? Something got into you? I got carried away. What carried you away? Right? So there's a point where evil takes over. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. If we can read this very interesting story together. It says, they, speaking of Jesus and the disciples, they go to the Gadarenes. Jesus gets out of the boat. A man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart. He broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs, he'd cry out, and he'd cut himself with stones. He saw Jesus from a distance. He ran. He fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? In God's name, don't torture me. Jesus said, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Jesus asked him, What is your name? 
He said, my name is Legion, for we are many. He begged Jesus again not to send these pigs or these demons out of the area. Next passage. And a herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillsides. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. Impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the bank into the lake and were drowned. Those feeding the pigs ran off, reported this to the countryside. The people went to see what, what happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who was possessed, sitting, dressed in his right mind. Hallelujah. Those who had seen it told the people what happened. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. Father, bless this word. Anoint my lips. More importantly, anoint our ears to hear the word of God. Set us free today. Today is our release date. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So these, uh, these two mafia hitmen are taking a walk through the backwoods of Lowell. You know, Lowell's got some holes in it, right? <laughs> One mafia hitman says, the other mafia hitman, he says, I, I know I shouldn't admit stuff like this. He says, I, I know I'm supposed to be a tough guy. He says, but I'm, I'm really scared walking through these backwoods at night. And the other mafia hitman says, how do you think I feel? I got to walk back alone. I want to talk to those this morning, especially men, who hell has put a hit on your soul. The devil is a limited being. The fact that he's limited, that he has limited resources, he has to be very selective of who he targets. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says that Satan is like a lion. He's prowling the earth, seeking not anyone, seeking someone whom he may devour. Some of us are targeted, amen? John 10.10 10 describes Satan as a thief. Now, I know as a former thief, being a thief during my adolescence, that thieves are very selective in picking their quarry. When the Bible describes him as a thief, even when it describes him as a murderer, it is revealing something about his strategy, about his modus operandi. Thieves don't rob any old house. If it's a good thief, thieves are looking for two things. They're looking for a house that is valuable, and they're looking for a house that is vulnerable. You have an enemy, and he has a target on you. If you show yourself to be valuable, and if you show yourself to be vulnerable, a thief doesn't drive through a neighborhood, doesn't target a home with graffiti spray-painted all over the, the, the steps, a, a house with windows broken, door dangling off the hinges. A thief is looking for a home that shows itself 
to be valuable. Not only valuable, but vulnerable. I'm going to pick a home, kids hanging out on the front steps, four cars in the driveway, more cameras than Tony Montana. (laughs) Valuable, vulnerable. Now, we see this in the Old Testament. We see when Satan selects a man named Job, in Job chapter 1 verse 8, we find out that Job is valuable, and then three verses later, we find out that Job is vulnerable. He's valuable. God says, have you considered my servant Job? He is a rare specimen. He is exceptional. There is no one like him on the planet. Somebody say, valuable. Job chapter 1, verse 11, the hedge is down. Somebody say vulnerable. Satan is like a thief. He's looking for property that is valuable, and he's looking for property that is vulnerable. When the FBI asked William Sutton, notorious bank robber, he said, why do you rob banks? They were looking for some profound explanation, and William Sutton said, that's where the money is. So when Satan is targeting people, he's targeting people that are valuable and people that are vulnerable. Now, of course, he hates all of God's creation because you bear the likeness of your creator. You reflect the image of your maker. But being that he is limited in resources, he's limited in time, in energy, it only makes sense, him being a master strategist, that he is selecting certain people, and he is looking for those that are valuable, and he's looking for those that are vulnerable. Now, as a PhD in behavioral science, you study criminology at an extensive level. FBI have interviewed serial offenders on death row for the last four decades, have collected so much data to understand how is it that you select your quarry? What do you look for when you pick a particular victim? They find out that, number one, they're looking for a victim, of course, that's valuable, someone that is either showing money or or exhibiting beauty, something that the predator is interested in. But then, number two, not just valuable, but vulnerable. Predator will approach a woman in a parking lot. It's a very common modus operandi. It's not exactly the same every time, but here's the gist of it. Approaches a woman in a parking lot, offers her a piece of gum. If she says no thank you, offers it a second time. If she says I said no thank you, he bolts. If she takes the gum, it says that she goes along to get along, and if you go along to get along, you are vulnerable. Paul says to the church in Galatians chapter 5, he speaks to the Galatians about this controlling group of people known as the Judaizers. He tells the church of Galatia, he doesn't say be kind, he says stand firm. Because with some people you've got to be firm, amen? He says it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Learn to be firm, amen? Because you have an enemy who's looking for those that are valuable and he's looking for those that are vulnerable. He is a thief. He is a murderer. Now, there are are those of you here, just like David Berkowitz, 
I believe Mr. Berkowitz, 1953, June 1st, born into this world. I believe on that day, Satan hadn't studied the algorithms of humanity for the last several thousand years, knew that this boy was very valuable and very vulnerable, that there were vulnerabilities, there were risk factors. In fact, if you open up a DSM, which is the Diagnostic Manual of Psychotic and Neurotic Disorders, 251 neurotic and psychotic disorders, each disorder before the description of the disorder is a description of the risk factors. There are certain things that put us at risk for sickness, and there are certain things that put us at risk for slavery. Satan is looking for those that are vulnerable. I want to talk to you in this passage about some of the risk factors. Right out of this passage, do a little excavating of the text. Because I believe that there are vulnerabilities in this man's life. There are vulnerabilities in the life of David Berkowitz. And there may be vulnerabilities in your life as Satan. He is looking for those that are vulnerable. And he is looking, don't forget this second point, because we're going to talk about this in the conclusion. He is looking for those that are valuable. If Satan is attacking you, if you, your family, your home, your mental health has come under attack, it's because you're showing value. When Pharaoh enslaved the people of Israel, he did not enslave the people of Israel because they were so pathetic. He enslaved the people of Israel because they were so powerful. In Exodus chapter 2, the Bible says Pharaoh looked at the people and he was threatened by them. He was threatened because they were numerous and they were powerful. And the relentless struggle in this life is the ongoing attack by the one who who knows what you can be, and he fears it. He dreads it. He dreads it. He knows exactly what you can be. In fact, Satan believes in you more than you believe in you. This morning, I pray that you would awaken and you would know who you are and you would know whose you are. You would know if the enemy is attacking this house, there must be something valuable inside this house because Satan is a thief and he's only looking to rob those that show promise. The struggle in this life is the relentless attack on your soul by the one who knows what you can be and he fears it. He dreads it. Pharaoh saw that the people were numerous. He saw they were powerful. He saw the potential. And in that moment, Pharaoh said, let us deal with this people shrewdly. Let us make slaves out of them. This morning, God is wanting to make a son out of you, and Satan is wanting to make a slave out of you. Listen, I'm not one of those devil preachers, believe me. You know, I, I understand the psyche. I understand natural phenomenon probably better than most people. I don't say that braggadociously, but it's my education. But in all my education, in all my research, in all my studies, I get to a point where I just throw my hands up in the air and I come back to John 10.10. 10. The thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come to give life and life more abundantly. 
Berkowitz was examined for 50 hours by Dr. David Abrahamson in 1980s, criminologist who conducted a full case study and uh, published his findings in a book called The Confessions of the Son of Sam, dismiss all of his accounts of demonic activity as being merely a product of his own imagination, uh, a, a, a displacement of his own wild emotions. And I'm here to tell you that David Berkowitz is, yes, a man that was traumatized, yes, a man with mental illness, but yes, a man that was under attack by an enemy that looks for vulnerability. I want to talk to you. Three vulnerabilities in this passage. I want to talk to you about the trauma. I want to talk to you about the tribe. And I want to talk to you about the temperament of this man. Because these three aspects in this passage put this man at risk. Can I come visit you on the floor? Is that appropriate here? Is that all right? All right. I know I probably shouldn't do this because of my height. My driver's license is a full body shot. I'm only about five foot seven. <laughs> That's all right. I like being five foot seven because people underestimate you. They think you're a cheeseburger, and then later on they find out you're a Big Mac. I love being underestimated. Amen? I got a T-shirt. My wife bought it. She said, this is perfect for you. Underestimate me. We'll have a little fun. In this story, we have the trauma, we have the tribe, and we have the temperament of this man. Three risk factors that put this man in vulnerability for satanic activity. Let's talk about the trauma. Jesus asks the man the question, what is your name? It's not an uncommon question in the Bible. The angel is wrestling with Jacob in the book of Genesis, and what does he ask him? He asks him, what's your name? God knows your name, but what is important is that you know your name. What is your name? He answers and he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now this term Legion is descriptive of the Roman army's 6,000 soldiers. Bible commentator William Barclay makes the point that in this particular territory, in this man's lifetime, a Roman legion had decimated the Decapolis, the 10 Greek cities, one of them being the Gadarenes. This man was one of the survivors of Roman decimation when the legions would come into an era they would ravage the community. They would massacre families. There's a good chance that this man, he had witnessed some things that nobody should ever have to witness. I believe there are people in this sanctuary that you have witnessed things, maybe from the time you were a small child, you've seen things that no child should ever see. You heard things that no child should ever hear. So when he says, my name is is legion. He is not just describing the enemy that possesses him, but he is equally describing the tragedy that distresses him. Because tragedy is a doorway for the enemy. Trauma is an entry point for Lucifer. Trauma. 
It's not a causation, but a correlation doesn't cause you to be demonized, but it certainly puts you in a position where there's demonic activity, whether it induces resentment, unforgiveness, hatred, sexual impurity, but trauma, it becomes the gateway for Lucifer. And this man says, my name is Legion. His pain has become his name. It's one thing for an ordeal to disturb you. It's another thing for an ordeal to define you. We're all disturbed at some level by 9-11, by school shootings. We're all disturbed by an uncle that molests us or some kind of abandonment or abuse. It is one thing for something to disturb you. It is another thing when that something becomes your name. It's one thing to say I was victimized. Another thing to say I'm a victim. It's one thing to say I was unloved. It's another thing to say I am unlovable. To identify that this pain has become his very name. He's not just scabbed by what happened. He is scarred by what happened. Somewhere along the way, it becomes the lens in which he sees himself. The Bible says, as you see it, so shall you be it. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he becomes. The enemy wants your pain to become your name. Because that trauma, when the trauma goes from disturbing your psyche to defining your identity, when it becomes a part of who you are and how you see yourself, how you see it is exactly how you'll be it. Back in the Victorian era, women wore the large hats. Remember the large hats in the 1800s? And they would walk through doorways. They had to tilt their bodies to fit through the doorways. Well, somewhere in 1910, 1905, the Victorian era ends, and sociologists realize that women are still walking through doorways, no longer wearing the hats. They're still tilting their bodies because how you see it is exactly how you'll be it. The enemy wants you to see yourself in a certain light. He says, my name is legion. Pain has become my identity. It has shaped how I see myself. It's not that I was victimized. It's that I am a victim. It's not that I am unloved. It's I am unlovable. It has become a part of how I see myself. But God has a new name for you today. He wants to give you a new name. Amen. All through the Bible, he's changing people's names. He tells Peter, you are a rock. You are no longer flimsy as water, but from this day forward, you are strong, you are stable, you are solid, you are unmovable. Today, God wants to change your name. Wants to change your name. Wants to change how you see yourself. He changes your name. All bets are off. Do you know the lion is not the biggest animal in the Congo? He's the king of the Congo. Hippopotamus is a lot bigger than a lion. Giraffe is a lot taller than a lion. Elephant is a lot more robust than a lion. The lion is not the biggest animal in the Congo, but he thinks he is. 
and as man thinketh in his heart. How you see it is how you'll be it. My name is Legion. Well, when Jesus is done with this man, he can go from saying, my name is Legion, to I am a son of God that has been dressed in my right mind. I have a destiny. I have a purpose. I am a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. The trauma puts us in a very precarious position where now we're vulnerable. And the enemy, if, if you know anything about lions, so flip the coin, not lion of Judah, but lion, Satan like a lion. Lions watch a fold. They watch a herd walk by. Berkowitz told me, he said, I got 46 channels on my TV in the cell. Cell the size of your average bathroom. Only channel I have on most of the time is the animal channel. He says, I watched the animal channel. I learned about lions. A lion will sit back and watch a herd walk by and they'll pick the lioness, rather. Lioness will select that one animal in the herd that's injured, that's lagging behind. Psalm 10 speaks of a lion. It speaks of a lion emblemizing the wicked, and it says the lion waits for the injured. The lion waits for the oppressed. The lion prays on the victimized. He prays on those that are traumatized because in that place of trauma, you are in pain, and pain will either draw you close to God or it'll drive you away from God. This morning, if you are in distress, I pray you turn to him and not away from him. In fact, may I submit to you that probably one of the things that, because we ask, well, well, what is it that causes one person to have trauma and they're disturbed by it? We're all disturbed by it, but another person is defined by it. And I'd have to argue, I'd have to argue that unforgiveness plays a big part in this. Because to be unforgiven is to replay, it is to rehash, it is to relive, it is to repeat the injury over and over again. It is to play with the scab so that the wound never heals. So what begins with a scab will end with a scar until the pain becomes your very name. We see the sensibility. And Jesus' commands to forgive our enemies. He doesn't tell you to forgive your enemies simply because it's the right thing to do. He tells you to forgive your enemies because it's the bright thing to do. It makes sense. It's intelligent to drive that poison out of your soul. Somebody say trauma. Now let's talk about the man's tribe, the second vulnerability. I want you to look at the people in this story. Now, you know, real quick, First of all, there's no record of anybody praying for the man, anybody counseling the man, anybody helping the man. Nobody seems interested in saving the man. They only seem interested in subduing the man. Some of us grew up in tribes with people, they didn't want to save you, they just want to subdue you. They weren't interested in restoring you, they were just interested in restraining you. 
Now, we don't put chains on people anymore. We can't do that. That would be considered uncivilized, uncouth, barbaric, illegal, probably get you locked up. We don't put chains on people, but we put them on medication. We send them into institutions. We do whatever it takes that when the trouble is too great for me, I shift the trouble over to you. This man is living in a tribe that because they can't deliver him, they pretty much desert him. Proverbs tells us this. It says, a man with many companions may still come to a ruin. In other words, you can have a lot of brothers, but not, not have a lot of helpers. But there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So if you have been abandoned by people, not for one single second were you forsaken by God, They just want to subdue him. Just keep it quiet. Just get this man out of the way. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus actually delivers the man? There he is dressed in his right mind. The demons make their way into a herd of pigs, follow me, which in that region, pigs was their industry. They made money off the profit of the pigs. And now all the pigs are drowned in the sea. And the, the people of the town, they look and they see the man called Legion. He's dressed in his right mind. And then they see their pigs. Their pigs have been drowned into the sea, and they look at Jesus, and rather than saying, Jesus, please stay. There are so many more people that need you. There are so many more sick people that are in dire need of healing. So many more lost people that need to be saved. Instead of begging him to stay, they tell him to go away. The pigs were more important than a soul. And some of us grew up in homes where mom's reputation was more important than our well-being. Some of us grew up in churches where how it looked, looking good, was more important than feeling good. Looking good was more important than being good. It was all about looking good. Smile for the camera. Take happy family. I hate you. The pigs are more important than a soul. This puts a man at risk because Satan is looking for the lonely hearted. He is seeking for those that are by themselves, those that are isolated. He knows that you and I, we don't function well without a tribe of supportive people. We don't function well without fellowship. You can have all the God a man could possibly have, but if you don't have the people of God, you're in trouble. Back it up, Genesis chapter 2. Adam had all the God a man could have. He had, listen, Shekinah glory every second of the day. I don't know what the brother was doing, but his behaviors were so deranged that God said he needs a friend. <laughs> I, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if he's sticking his toes in his nose. I don't know if he's talking to himself, hitting his head up against a tree, discussing conversations with his alter ego. But God said, this brother can't be alone. <laughs> we don't function well without fellowship. If you're alone too long, you will take a volleyball, paint a face on it, and call it Wilson. <laughs> 
So he's without a tribe. And without that kind of support, without that kind of community, without that kind of supportive family, people that are interested in not just sub subduing him, quieting him, muting him, taking his voice away, people that are interested in not just subduing him, but people that want to save him. Dr. James Allen, 1970, was a pastor of a church in San Antonio, Texas, and he stood up on a Sunday morning. It was a real stern rebuke to his congregation. They didn't expect it, but he looked at his congregation. He said, church, I'm just going to speak straight to you this morning. He said, we missed our divine opportunity. He said, we're too busy. We're too busy with our programs, our so-called responsibilities, that we forewent our divine opportunity. He said he came to church every Sunday. He visited every Sunday school class. For three years, he was here faithfully. I remember him bringing his Bible. There he was, but hardly anyone talked to him. We were so busy. We were so caught up in life that we miss a little boy named Sirhan Sirhan who would grow up to assassinate Robert F. Kennedy. He said we missed him. The pigs were more important than a soul. First risk factor is the trauma. The second is the tribe. I, I don't know of one uh, person I've worked with in the prisons. I've, I've had dialogues, corresponding relationships with three serial killers. I've worked with prisoners in Bridgewater, Bridgewater State Correctional Facility, Adult Correctional Institute in Rhode Island, Shore, Gunk, and Upstate New York. I don't know one serial offender that did not come from trauma and did not come from a tribe that at some degree neglected him. The pigs were more important than the soul. Berkowitz gets out of the army. He's 21 years old. First of all, he attends a church while he's in the military, long before the son of Sam, long before the six murders and the eight injuries, long before the bulldog revolver, long before the serial killer ever emerged. He's a part of a church community. He's growing in that church community. He gets saved. He gets baptized. The pastor gets up in the pulpit one morning, and he preaches a message, are you Jewing God? David Berkowitz is a Jew. Pastor defines the word Jew as cheap. He said, offense drove me out of the church. He comes home to New York City, 21 years old. He's out of the military. What's the first thing you do? He's looking for a friend. He's not looking for a church. The church already burned him. He's looking for a friend. He's looking for somewhere to belong. His father moves to Florida. He gets remarried. Mother dies when he's 14 years old. All of his friends are married. They moved on. He's at a party in Pelham Parkway in the Bronx. He bumps into two brothers. They're part of a cult that meets at Untermyer Park in Yonkers. They invite him back to that cult, and for the first time in a long time, he finds a tribe where he belongs. Because we want to belong. Maslow pointed this out, one of the basic needs of the five inherent needs, to be esteemed, to be accepted, to be respected, to be loved, self-actualization, and to feel, to feel like I belong. I'm a part of a tribe. To be without a tribe is to be at risk. Satan is after the lonely hearted. I hope I'm not spooking you out this morning. I know you got your psychology textbooks and you got all your neurology understandings, and I'm with you, but there is an evil. All of our theories have fallen short. All of our intellectual resources have fallen short in depicting an evil that has been studying the algorithms of humanity for the last several thousand years. And he's very selective 
and who he targets. And he's looking for those that are without a tribe. The third is his temperament. Man's cutting himself. Now we could say Satan made him do this, but there's some, there's some activity, some level of participation where he's actually taking the stone and he's cutting himself. Now chances are there are very few people in here that are actually cutting yourself. Maybe there are a couple, but more, more often than not, a masochism, this masochistic temperament, this I hate me spirit, this, this I can't stand how I look, I can't stand how I sound, I, I hate me, I, I continually rehearse in my mind what's not to like about me. Masochism comes in many forms. Whether you're cutting yourself with your own mouth or cutting yourself with maybe some Jezebelic girlfriend that you just don't belong with, maybe a group of people that are not building you up but they're beating you up, a masochistic spirit, Satan is looking for people that have the kinds of temperaments that agree with his mission. His mission is to destroy you, and if your mission is to destroy you, well, hey, two is better than one. He's looking for agreement. I'm talking to masochistic people in here, people that you just hate you. You hate who you are. You hate how you are. You hate how you look. You hate how you sound. You hate your height, your weight, your face. You hate you. You learn to hate you along. Maybe someone in your childhood hated you, and the way they say it is the way you see it. In fact, I would argue that that is the truest level of captivity when the voice of the oppressor becomes your own thoughts, and how they said it is exactly how you see it, and they called you a loser, and now you see yourself as a loser, and they said you were a failure, and now you see yourself as a failure. You are in trouble. You need the Savior when the voice of the abuser becomes your thoughts. He's cutting himself. I don't know if he's cutting himself survivor's guilt. I can tell you a lot about survivor's guilt. Feeling like, why did I survive? Why did everybody else go? I don't know if there's some type of unforgiveness happening here. He's feeling he has to atone for his iniquity. Martin Luther said this. He said, when I saw my sin, I realized that either I got to die or somebody's going to die for me. Maybe he realizes his sin. He's trying to atone for his own sin until Jesus shows up. I don't know what's happening here, but what I do know is that this is a masochistic man and Satan is preying on those that are already preying on themselves because two is better than one. I believe God wants to deliver some people in here today. Amen? You've been under something heavy. You've been under attack, maybe stalked from the time you were a baby. Your whole childhood, just this presence Berkowitz will tell you stories. At six years old, he used to try to throw himself in front of moving traffic in the Bronx on Westchester Avenue. When he'd go into subways, he would have to stand at the wall because he'd feel an urge, this uncontrollable urge, come on him to throw himself in front of a moving train. In his sixth-floor tenement on Pine Street, the corner of Pine and Westchester Avenue in the Bronx, the sixth floor, he would stare out the window at six years old, and he would contemplate over and over again, jumping out the sixth-floor window into the pavement. 
Is this unusual? No, in Mark chapter 9, we read about a satanic episode where this boy, the Bible says from childhood, it had thrown him into the fire. It's self-destructive, self-mutilating, cutting, masochistic spirit. God wants you to know who you are today. And may I, may I call up the worship team? You guys can stop playing anytime. I think the real damage done to the mind when you've been abused too long, you've been in trauma too long, is you start to think, what's wrong with me? Why, why me? You know, 10 boys at a Catholic church, why was I the one molested? Five siblings, maybe in a family, why, why was I the daughter that was picked on? What, what was wrong with me? I got a kick me sign on my back, why was I targeted? You start to think there's something wrong with you. I couldn't figure out why my mother's best friend, Aunt Marie, hated me. I was six or seven. This, this lady just didn't like me. Every time my mother would leave a company, walk into a CVS or pharmacy, Aunt Marie would turn around and look at me. I was in the backseat, and she would tell me what a bad kid I was. Now, look, I was no peach. <laughs> you might have to hold on to your wallet sitting next to me. But I figured out years later why she hated me. I was about 17 or 18. Somebody told me. He said, you know why Amory hates you so much? I said, why? He said, well, your dad was in prison. My father was in prison at this point. She said, he, she hates your father. And you look just like your father. Satan has had a long-standing feud with your father. And you look just like your father. Especially when you were a child, when you were walking in the innocence and the purity and the humility and the dependence that children exhibit. In that moment, he hated you more than ever because you look just like your father. You are caught in the middle of crossfire. He has had a battle going on with your daddy for a long time. And here you come along. And I got news for you. The more you grow in Christ's likeness, the more you look like your father, the more he amps up the attack because you look just like your father. He's not attacking you because there's something wrong with you. You are attacked because there's something right with you. Your calling was getting on the nerve of every demon in hell. Your anointing was irritating every power of darkness. He looked at you and he was threatened by your very existence. He hated you because he hates your father and you represent your father. You know this man in this story, the Gadarenes, you know what's interesting? He's the first. He's the chain breaker. He is the seed. He's the first seed in the Decapolis. If we study the history of the Decapolis, we find out there was a mighty revival a few years after this particular encounter. This man is the first. He is the seed of that harvest before he shows up, before Jesus gets off that boat. It is a heritage of heathenism. It is Greek philosophy, 
Greek religion. He's the chain breaker. He's the first one to come along and flip the script on decades of heathenism. And there are chain breakers in this sanctuary. You are the first seed of your harvest. And the enemy knows you're not just vulnerable, you are valuable. Berkowitz's testimony heard by millions. Now you might argue, well, I mean, that's obvious. He's notorious. He was five years old. He heard the voice of God twice. The audible voice of God at five years old. Two separate incidences. The calling was there. Whomever God chooses, Satan chases. There's a target. He's like a lion prowling the earth. He's not seeking anyone. He's seeking someone. Stand up with me. Hallelujah. I believe there are some someones in this place this morning. There are someones that are targeted. There are someones that, that you know there's been a presence there since you were a little kid. I haven't met one person that has some great gift, one gifted person that didn't also have the potential to destroy themselves at any second. I haven't met one Superman that didn't have a kryptonite. There wasn't a capacity to be either anointed or to become a serial killer, to become great or to become a, a soldier in, in the devil's army. When you're chosen, when the calling is on you, it's going to go one way or the other. I see some people in Hollywood, I'm telling you, man, they're gifted. Some of them are anointed. I look at their lives and I see how they're destroying themselves. I think to myself, this is a person that was called. I don't know one gifted person that didn't have the capacity to destroy themselves at any given second. The threshold is so thin, such a fine line between the greatness and the madness. Such a fine line. Because wherever God chooses, Satan, he chases. Not an idiot. He knows. He's learned all the algorithms. He knows. He understands humanity better than any of us understand. He knows you better than you know you. And sadly, he believes in you more than you believe in you. This morning, I want you to say, I am a child of God. I am called. I am chosen. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I am the beloved. He's given me every tool, every weapon of warfare. He has given me authority to crush the head of the serpent. He'll bruise my heel. He'll stub my toe. But I'll crush his head. He may stub my toe, but I'm going to crush his head. I pray right now for an authority in this place. I pray that we would renounce every evil entity. We'd break covenant with all sin. We would stop, we'd stop playing into the enemy's hands. We would see ourselves exactly as you see us. If you've been under attack this morning and you want prayer, you've been under attack and you want prayer, this is not for anyone. This is for someone. I don't expect the whole church. Maybe, I don't know. This is for someone. You know there's a target on you. You're chosen. You're called. I want you to come to this altar. I'm going to pray for you. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, God. Hallelujah. Dress in our right mind. Thank you for being with us today. Be sure to listen to all our messages on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And follow us on ne-cc.org for all information and updates. Thank you. God bless. Have a great day.